Wasn't that an amazing time of worship? I, I just love, um, I love the heart of this church and, and how loud you all sing. It's wonderful. So, um, and uh, Jason, as we talked about, is uh, on on vacation, but he'll be back this afternoon. So, um, so you're you're stuck with me. Um, <laughs> but uh, thank you all for being here. I know it was a difficult time getting here. We had to run through Redlands, and we had the the storms and the and uh, so and there's still you all here, so I'm so thankful for you all being here. Um, as you know, my name is Mark. I'm one of the teachers here. I'm also a doctor. I'm also um, a piano player, I guess now. So um, I, I just learned how to play that recently. So um, Actually, I started when I was like five, but I hope you've been challenged and inspired this, this last uh, few weeks uh, through the sermon series that we've talked about, Radical Generosity. And and. You know, I hope that you all understand how important this idea really is. This idea of radical generosity, how important it is to each and every one of us in this room. What I hope you've also seen is that for us as a church here at the mission, that if we want to be known by God's radical love, and to spread this radical love throughout Redlands and to the ends of the earth, that one of the most evident ways we can show that is by being generous with our lives. It, it's not about just money. It's about our lives, being generous with our lives. And that's what we've talked about and called radical gener- generosity. It means that we don't give... It's not that we have to give everything, as Jason said. It's that we have everything to give. So Ricardo also talked two weeks ago about the idea that we're really just managers or or, or administrators of God's generosity fund. He gives us so that we can give. It's not just our money, though. It's our talents. It's our abilities. It's our time. It's our house. It's our bank accounts. It's all of it. And it's all God's. And we're just simply managers of it. And last week, Jason talked about this important concept of what Jesus said, where our treasure is, our heart will be. And so, as, as I said, I want you to know that radical generosity, as we've been describing it throughout the scriptures and in this series, it's not something that we, as a teaching team or as a church, it's not something we want from you. It's one, something we want for you. It's a life that's just different. And that's what we're looking for. And that's what we're excited about for you. We want a life that's different in your thoughts. It's something that's different in your time. Something that's different for your finances. Radical generosity is so much bigger than what you give. But it's really how you live. It's really how you live. So today, I'm going to go continue to talk about this concept of radical generosity through the lens of eternity. And living for eternity rather than for earth. Because... As somebody who's, who's verse smarter than me said, is heaven, not earth, is our home. Amen. So what is at stake is a life that is different. Like I said, it's joyful, it's peaceful. And dare I say a word that sometimes gets overused, but it's a happy life. It's a life that we're always searching for happiness, but this generous life is truthfully what Jesus says is you'll be happy. You'll be blessed or or fulfilled. And that's what we're all looking for. It's it's what we turn to the things of this earth to try and satisfy, but it never seems to work. 
I have a friend um, who has been a, my best friend since a high school. Um, we, we met in the freshman year of high school, and we got into trouble together. And I mean, not that I really got into that much trouble, but um, but you know, as much trouble as as nerds could get into. And um, <laughs> last month, my friend lost his father. He lost him suddenly. He was he was healthy as a horse, and uh, died in, in his sleep and um, of a heart attack. And that would seem like a pretty tough thing to deal with. I haven't. I have both of my parents, and I'm thankful for that. But after that, on the day of my, my friend's father's funeral, he lost his, his grandmother fell down. His, his dad's mom actually couldn't make it to the funeral, but she, was, she fell and broke her hip on the day of the funeral. And as many people in their 90s, what happens to people in their 90s when they fall and break their hip um, is you know things start to, to go downhill for his grandmother and and she actually passed away last week and I was talking to him this week and and you know obviously he was terribly devastated emotionally and and it was hard it was difficult um, and he was he was dealing with all the emotions of that but now this is where the story could have could have gotten better and if you think about it just on the face of it this I always th- think this because I don't have any family members who have lots of money so um, I always think well if my parents had a lot of money wouldn't it be like kind of kind of like it would be bad it would be sad I mean don't get me wrong but um, but it wouldn't be like you know you would have this other thing that you'd be like oh that's kind of cool that they're giving, leaving me something behind but my my friend's father he's he's actually a multi-millionaire business owner and um I can assure you that that is not the experience that my friend had. And, and truly, I've, as I've seen it in my life, that's truly not the, the thing that generally happens when people pass away with, with multi-million dollars. Um, I realized that the fact that his father was a multi-millionaire was getting in the way of his ability to even grieve because there were all these complicated situations that came up. I mean... There were family members who came calling. All of a sudden, they hadn't been around for, for years. And uh, they, were, they were came like, hey, I need some something, you know. And my friend, who was kind of like the, the person that, that his father trusted the most, became kind of the gatekeeper of all these people that were, that were coming to cause problems with the money. They had their hands out. And then there was these hurt feelings among his siblings, because my friend is actually the, not the, the oldest son, but the oldest son is a mess. And so, um, so, but there's hurt feelings about that. And then there's this complicated relationships and complicated, you know, the, the thing that, that my friend's father lived his whole life for this business. It was, it wasn't a blessing that, that we thought it, that he thought it would be. And I don't blame my friend's father. Like he, he didn't know he was going to die, but, and he was just doing his work, but, but, um, but it became clear to me in a new way this week that despite all of the good intentions for the money that he'd saved up for his family and for himself, it didn't quite work out the way he thought it was going to work out. And like I said, if you've lost a parent, if you haven't lost a parent or a grandparent who has a lot of money, you're probably actually lucky. Um, because what I found with my friend and what I find in these situations more often than not is that the money that gets left behind becomes an ugly and sometimes painful Reminder to all those involved that, that we can't take, we can't take it with us. We can't take our financial legacy with us. The arguments and the anger around how this money gets divided up, it reminds me of why the Bible talks about the fact that money, it's sometimes, it's the root of all kinds of evil. 
including these strained relationships that we're talking about and losing our focus on, on what's important. And as a physician, I actually get to see this from another side as well. I mean, many times my elderly patients, they, they spend the last six months of their lives fighting illness. And that's, that's not a bad thing. But we spend so much money and time and effort in the last six months of our lives when in truth, that should be the time when we think, I'm just getting to go home. I'm so excited. It's like when you go out, when you go to, maybe it was just me, when I went to summer camp and I'd come back after a week of being away from my family and my friends and my, and my house and my bed, I would just be looking forward to that. Because heaven is our home. And, when we, and, and in, the, in the last months of our lives, so often we're, so, we're still we're trying to fight to stay here. Because we as a culture, and I think just we as hum- humans, it's probably the way God made us. We cling to this earth, but we cling to it like it's everything. Like it's worth everything. And I don't know about all of you, but, but I know that if you live in America, you probably deal with the issue, and you, unless you're doing better than I, finances are something that, that have a grip on us. They, they, they occupy our minds. And the truth is, many people struggle with money. And one of the most common fights in marriage is, is about money and financial issues. One of the most common causes of people who have anxiety or depression, who I see every day in the urgent care, are, de- are dealing with money. With debt at all-time highs and, and income stagnating in our country, our politicians love to promise us a better future, Right? But we as Christians, we know that there is hope for a future, but it doesn't, it doesn't lie in a government. It doesn't lie in a program. It doesn't lie in a tax cut or raising taxes for that matter. It doesn't lie in a human being. See, we have a hope in a future, but it's for eternity. In fact, if we view our lives and our finances and our relationships through this eternal lens... It's going to change everything. See, having a mindset that sees this world through a completely different lens, we can see the world through the lens in which Jesus saw the world. The lens which our Heavenly Father sees the world right now. And it's the lens that we, as the mission church, want to see this world. But see, we have a problem. We, we have a possession obsession. See, our lives are focused on this life. So often our lives are focused on what we can see here and now, on what's coming next. Whether it's the anxiety that creeps in from what's going to happen at work, or if it's the worry that we have over who's going to be our next president, or maybe it's this intense grief of losing a loved one. Perhaps it's waiting in line for our next iPhone or our, or our next Android, if that's what you're into. Um, these things all have one thing in common, and they focus on this life. But we're called to focus on eternal life. So we're going to talk about that. I, I, I'm going to give you one more example of myself, because I, I, I just want you to know, this is not me preaching because I have this all figured out, but uh, if you look around my basement, you're going to see evidence of this focus on this life. Uh, I'll tell you one example. I used to be obsessed with golf. My parents know this. 
My wife knows this even more. Um, that was before kids, so I, I, I had all this time. And, and as I looked around my basement this, this, uh, this week, I just thought, looked at those. There's like this pile of golf clubs in the corner. And I was obsessed with getting the right golf gear, like having the right clubs. And um, in that season of life, I remember thinking nothing of like going out and buying a, a dozen golf balls that were like, I don't know, $40 a, go- a dozen. And I buy that like probably every couple weeks. I went through a lot of golf balls. I was pretty good at golf, but you know, you still go through a lot of golf balls. I play like once or twice a week and it just didn't seem like anything like a big deal. And I would actually build my own golf clubs because I'm still cheap because I didn't want to buy them like put to, pre-put together and it was a little cheaper to buy them that way but I would buy the right shafts with just the right flex and the right angles to get the ball just in the right height and I was obsessed with I know this is getting geeky but um, I just was obsessed with golf and making sure that I could play golf right and um, I suspect if I looked in your all garages there'd be some evidence of something like that that you're that you've that has gone by but yet that, that's just sitting in the corner all collecting dust. But see, what, what seems so important to me now is just a pile of stuff in the corner, collecting dust, and I can't get rid of it because, you know, you never know when you'll need another golf club. Um, so, it's sad, but it's true. And it's true for all of us. What seems so important at the time just gathers dust. And as we begin to look today at what can be gained from seeing this radical generosity through a lens of eternity, I believe we can begin to loosen our grip on this stuff, on the things of this earth. I mean, the better car and the nicer house and the more golf clubs, the safer retirement plan. And and hopefully we can begin to see this bigger picture, one that truly focuses on what Jesus cared about. See, what I know about you is that the things that worry you, the things that enslave you, the things that make us all feel helpless and hopeless and desperate for things to change, those are all because we focus on this life, not on eternity. So the question we're going to tackle is, how do we begin to change this? How do we get this fixed? How do we reorient our hearts and our minds and our time and our talents and our money and our resources in a way that is better for us and ultimately better for the kingdom of God? better for eternity. And we've, again, called this mindset radical generosity. And it's not something new, but we've given you a definition. Radical generosity, it's the overflow of love. And many times, the fact is, where we put our money, our heart will likely follow. And in this sermon series, we're going to ask this question throughout the sermon series. What would it look like for God to inspire This culture of true generosity in our community, in our people, in our world, in our country. What would it look like? Because generosity, it's not giving everything away. But it's realizing that we have everything to give. So the basis of our generosity towards others comes from the most famous verse in the Bible. I think it's the most famous verse. The one you see people waving around in the football games. And and if you're like me and you grew up in the church, you actually... You may have become so, it may have become so routine and, and so kind of common that it may not have as much impact as it, as it truly should. See, the Apostle John, this guy, who was, he was with Jesus. And then he wrote these words after many years of seeing what happened 
in the, in the early church. We, what happened is the gospel spread. He, he looked back upon his life and he looked po- back upon Jesus' life and he wrote these words as he reflected on what God did through his son, Jesus. So in John 3.16, it says, God so loved. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternity. See, the basis of our generosity is that our Heavenly Father, our Creator, the One who created the oceans and the stars and the sunsets in the Sierra Nevada, not the beer, but He was, God was better at wine actually, but, um, but, but the Sierra Nevada mountains, have you ever seen the beauty of the mountains? That God... He still knows us by name. And He died for us so that we could have a life that would focus on eternity, that would live for eternity. He gave us Jesus, our Deliverer, the One who came to earth to walk with us, to understand temptations and struggles. He knows us. And then He died to take away our sins. So God, He provided an offering so immense that we can't even imagine it. And yet, we are created in the image of God. And one day, we're going to meet our Heavenly Father, and the question is going to be asked of us, what do we have to show for it? And if all we have to show for it is the golf clubs in our basement, or our bank account, or the cool vacations we went on, or our Instagram posts, I mean, I don't believe that we'll have gained what Jesus was really asking of us. So God sent His Son so that we can have a life for eternity. And in, if that's the case, then, then how should we live? We should live for eternity. So I'm going to go back to the verse we talked about last week. That verse was in Matthew. This is, comes from Jesus. Taught us how to live our lives. He says, in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 20, Jesus says this, So do not store up yourself, for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus says this, that the way we evaluate our heart, it's focused, and where our heart is focused, is really by where we put our treasure. Now that's, kind of difficult for us to understand. If God looked at my bank statement, would it reflect the priorities of heaven? Would there be evidence in, if, if there was evidence in my bank account that my heart was focused on eternity? I'm, I'm a little worried about this actually as I think about my bank account because I think where it looked like my heart's focus is Target and Costco. But um, it's okay. I'm not, I'm, I'm not actually saying that you shouldn't take care of your family, so don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's just a, a thought that if we, if we focus our, our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our stuff on eternity, it changes the way our bank accounts look actually. So today we're going to get into this idea, the part that I really wanted to get into and let's delve into. It's, it's from... Timothy, and it's an idea that the Apostle Paul um, wrote to Timothy in his first letter. So he writes to Timothy, who's, who's actually, 
you know, a pastor, and he's almost writing to Timothy saying, hey, this is, this is the, the stuff that I want to tell you about being a pastor. Um, this is what I want you to teach people in your church, if you, if you will. Um, churches in those days were small little gatherings, kind of like our grow groups, actually, just kind of small places. But he, he wrote this letter to him and saying, I have some wisdom for you. I have something to, to, to say. So he says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, but, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous. There's that word, generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The life which is eternal life. The life which is the kingdom of God. Now I know many of you probably don't see yourselves as rich, so you probably look back at the first part of this verse and say, oh, that wasn't about me because I'm not rich, so it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm off the hook. Remember that we in this room, as Americans, we're rich. Um, you know, we, we, we uh, collected money last week for, for this well in Burkina Faso. And those, those people there would look at us in this room with the lights on and our cars that we drove here in and say, you mean you don't think you're rich? You're crazy. So I just want to remind ourselves that this verse is really talking to us. It says, command those who are rich, that's us, in this present world, not to be arrogant or to put our hope in wealth. And that's what I was talking about at the very beginning, is that we all so often put our hope in what we can see in wealth, in our own stuff. As we've talked about before, in, in comparison to the rest of the world, we're just, we're just so much richer than them. But that, those riches are our, our enjoyment. He, did, he, he provided those for our enjoyment, but it's not for us so like we can be partying and happy. The enjoyment is so that we can be generous. So he says, be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Because there's more to life than just this life. So Paul sees this, this, this risk of putting our hope in this life because it's so uncertain. And I don't know about you, but I like feeling secure. I like the feeling having a savings account, being able to take care of, you know, when the car breaks down and, and, and being able to take care of that and the plumbing leak. But what Paul's saying here is that that certainty, that certainty you think you have, it's just not real. It's not really certain. So how do you do this thing that Paul's talking about, which is lay up your treasure in heaven? It's by being rich. Not only just being rich in writing a check, it's being rich in good deeds, by, by being generous with your time. It's your whole life. It's not just about your finances. And that's what I think is so important. So finally, I wanted to touch on another piece of of what Jesus promises for those of us who are generous. It comes from Acts 20. It's actually an interesting part of the Bible because, um, you know, Acts is really the story of the, of the early church. And, and Paul is talking to the Ephesian church, if you 
know the Bible, you know it's, it's Ephesians. It's the same same people. He's talking to them. He's giving a speech, and um, and he and he quotes Jesus. And it's not like you know in the in the gospel anywhere else. But this must have been a, t- a, a saying that Jesus said that that came down through the early church. And so it's in Acts, verse twenty, and uh, I'm sorry, chapter twenty, verse thirty-five. It's, quite, it's a pretty famous verse. I mean, you probably have all heard it. In fact, some of you may not have even known it was actually, you know, Jesus saying it because you probably thought that it was just your parents telling you this around Christmas. Um, because I remember that this this verse. It says, "In everything I did, I showed you. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak." Again, this is it's kind of like live your life helping the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's interesting that this is not only in the context of of writing checks and giving money. It's about helping people, helping the weak. It's not necessarily that those who are generous are blessed with more. I think sometimes we read this a little bit backwards. I think we think, okay, if I give, I'm going to get a bunch more. And and I'm not sure that that's not true. Sometimes that happens for people. But honestly, that's not what it's about. If you look at this word blessed, or blessed in the old, old school way of saying it, it's kind of like our word for happy or joyful. Or It's really the reason we do this, first of all, because we want to store up treasure in heaven because we believe eternity is, is what we live for. But second of all, it's, it's because God blesses us and makes us feel less stressed out about all the stuff of this world because because it because stuff kind of tends to make this to be to be, have its own energy it builds this this like if i if i get a television I, you know you, you not only do you need the television you need the surround sound system and then the dvd player and you got to buy more stuff to make the stuff work better it's like it this it has its own energy and by letting it go it lets us be more or blessed. And that's kind of the context of, that I see this verse in. Have you ever noticed that in real life? Like when you loosen your grip on, on things, it, it loses its, its power over you. It allows us to feel free. And this is what Jesus is saying right here. So if God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus so that we can live an eternal life. And if Jesus told us that we're supposed to store our treasures in eternity, not here on earth, and then Paul describes how to do this by being generous with our money and our good deeds, and finally, if Jesus says, by doing that, we'll be happier, or blessed, because of living this life of generosity, I think we can see, we begin to see this the way that this this works together. See why this is such a different way of living and why if we can live like this, everything changes. So how do we deal with this obsession we have over our own possessions? How do we get rid of this dependence on, on this life, on this world, on our own abilities, on our own stuff? How do we move forward with a view of eternal life? What does it look like for us? So I think it, it's, it really begins with habits. I don't know if you've 
read the book Power of Habit. Anybody who read that book? It talks about how, how you create habits or how you create different habits. And, and um, I think sometimes my habits, they reflect my, what, what goes on in my mind. And I want you to um, kind of think of this habit that we have. How do we focus our, our minds and our hearts on eternity? How do we get a, build a habit to do that? Because it's not, you know, it's not normal for us to, sit, to see everything in the world and say, okay, I'm going to focus my relationship with my wife on eternity. I'm going to focus my taking care of the poor on eternity. I, 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 how do I do that? How do I get my mind to have that habit? First, for me, it really starts with, with prayer and reading the Bible. And, and I've found in my, in, in, actually in my grow group, I, I think many of us are in grow groups. Grow groups this, this season are, have been focused on prayer. And I think that it's so important that you join together with like-minded Christian people to kind of help you focus your mind on eternity. To daily read the scriptures, to daily go to God in prayer. That's the first step of reorienting our mind on eternity, on the things that God cares about. And the next thing we, we, we should do is what Paul said, which is be rich in good deeds. Don't just be rich with all the stuff you have, but be rich in good deeds. So put aside a time in your week, make it a habit to care for other people, to serve others. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I mean, I know at the church here, we have a lot of things that we, we, we need help with, we need, we need to serve with. We're going to serve, we served our community. We're going to do a lot of serving and we need, that's the first step. It's just come here and, and serve and care for people. Spend some time every week doing that. And finally, we need to be generous with our finances. I'm not going to sidestep this because I think Jesus is clear. You know, where, where our hearts are, are evident in our bank accounts. And it's, again, it's a habit. It's kind of interesting that, that this habit's been passed down for hundreds and thousands of years, actually. This habit of 10%. And I, I'm not going to get into the, like the, the, the legalism of 10%. But I think there's some wisdom in take a percentage of your income and just right off the top, just give it to God. And again, it's not because we need something from you. It's because we want something for you. We want you to see your stuff through the lens of eternity. And you start by giving it away, by loosening your grip on it. And so take a percentage. Pick a percentage. I don't care if it's 1% or 10% or 50%, but pick a percentage and give it away. I promise you it's going to change your life. I've done it myself. And I'm not saying this because I want to, I'm not going to tell you my percent. I'm not going to tell you that. But I know that for me, when I came to this place, I was giving a a percent. Not 1%, but a, a percentage. And I've just seen my heart change for this community because I keep giving more percentages as I see that I, we need to change the world from this place. And that's the heart that I think God is, is, wants from us. And I'm not trying to, 
to shame you or tell you that you should feel guilty for what you can give. But it's just, it changes your heart. And I promise you, I know it because it's done it for me and my family. So God's going to bless you. He may bless you financially, but I know that the Bible is true. And it's true when it says this, that the things of this earth are going to be less important to us. And eternity will seem so much closer when we live this life of radical generosity. I just want you to think of this for a minute. Like, how would it look in this in our world if Jesus followers, not just the mission, but Jesus followers in general, lived like this? I mean, if we were all, you know, kind of looking forward to November, or maybe worried about November, the election. What if instead of worrying about the things of this earth, we just started living generously like that? It wouldn't matter who our next president is, because if we live like this, if we live like there's more to this life than just this life, that would change everything. It would change our country and it would change our world. And I want to encourage you to start that just today. If we daily align our hearts and minds with God's priorities through prayer and reading the scripture. If we spend our time doing those things that make a difference for eternity. And if we spend our money and our resources on those things which make a difference in heaven, not just here on earth. I truly believe that our world would change. And I believe that that's the radical generosity that God's calling us towards. So may God's kingdom come. And may his will be done on earth as it is in heaven.